Hi, this is Isabella Johnston, the Intern Whisperer with Employers for Change. Today's Intern Whisperer Tip of the Week is about upskilling. Upskilling is the process of elevating existing skills to the next level. Typically, upskilling occurs along with a set career path and gives employees clear opportunities for advancement as they level up their skills. Upskilling can include soft skills, or what we call power skills, that can be advanced and specialized to fill workforce skills gaps. So what that means in the short, shortest terms is that you want to be able to think about not only the certificates that your people need to earn, but how can you get them to work together better for collaboration, for communication, and that would be one answer is peer and reverse mentoring along with servant leadership. The more you focus on getting your people together and helping them to learn from each other, it will you will see an accelerated work ethic and culture and engagement with your own people. So welcome to the Interim Whisperer. This show, I'm so happy to have Sabrina Greenwood-Briggs with Sabrina Louisa Consulting. She's going to tell you why that name is the name of her company, but I'm very glad to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. How we got connected is through my trip to Boston, but we'll save that for a little bit later. I always ask my guests these same, uh, the same question. What are five words that you would say, describe who you are, that you would tell people and why those five words? Sure. So they are creative, empathetic, efficient, independent, and passionate. And I would say those are, those are probably the best words to describe me because I try to bring everything I am to what I do. And I believe that human resources actually requires all of those components to be successful. Um, and I, so I've honed all those traits over the years, and I think they really are the best descriptors of who I am. Yeah. Um, Creative. I think that in HR, I like to kind of break them down just a little bit. I love the fact that it's creative because people are complex. We're like all a hot mess and it requires, you know, that you have a creative mind as well. How are we going to get this to happen with different people? Right? Exactly. And, you know, I never used to think I was creative because I tied it to the idea of artistic until I was having a conversation with someone. And I, and I commented that, I wasn't a very creative person and they stopped me and they were like, I don't know how you can think that because you came up with some of the most creative solutions around our company and our people. And I kind of stopped and was like, wow, I never, I never put those two together. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I like that. And I embraced it. And it's one of the things I'm most proud of in my practice that I can come up with creative solutions for people. Yeah, I agree. Because as I said, complexity, right? You know, human beings are so complex. And everybody's trying to get their way or whatever, or convince and persuasion and all of those variables that come into just being humans. So you become that mastermind that can make stuff happen. And you got to think super fast. Yes. (laughs) 
That is true. So your second one was empathetic. Yes. Why do you think that one? Um, I've always been empathetic. I'm, I'm someone who cries. <laughs> someone else cries. I feel what other people feel. And I really believe that that's a great trait in a human resources professional. It's probably one of the worst as well, because you internalize all the stuff that everyone goes through. But I think because I do, it drives my creativity. It drives me to, to come up with solutions because I can understand. And in that sense, actually what both sides need and what both sides are going through, whether it's the employee that needs an accommodation or the company that has to make a hard decision to downsize their work staff because they lost a big contract or whatever, you know, being able to, to bring those pieces together because I understand where they're coming from is huge. Mm, that is, that's a very good example. So your third word, I didn't get it down in my notes fast enough. So I'm going to need you to guide me there. Okay. I think it was efficient. Oh yeah. I had passionate. I had that one also. <laughs> yes. That one was my last one. Yeah. So efficient. HR, we're all about processes and efficiency, right? So mm -hmm. measure, measure, measure. I would say that's probably why, but I don't know. Is it? So when I was younger, I used to say it was because I was lazy and I wanted to be able to sit around and read my books. And what I realized was it wasn't lazy as much as it was not wanting to waste my time. Mm. I wanted to be efficient at what I did. So I had more time to do the things that I loved. Um, I also read the book Cheaper by the Dozen when I was a little girl. So and cute. the original story of that is about a man whose entire world and job is around efficiency. And the concept of efficiency just really took hold in my head as a kid. And I, I worked it into my world in a way that I try to do everything efficiently. Mm, that's good stuff there. Fourth word. Um, that one was ew, independent. Ah, yeah. I was like, what did I say? Independent. Yeah. Um, I'm an only child. And so I had a bit of an independent childhood in that sense. I didn't have siblings around. My mother was an entrepreneur. My father worked in her business and so I was often left to my own devices and it made me a lot more comfortable in my own company, I think. And so I developed that independence and I travel alone. I go out alone, but I also worked really well as an independent HR person inside a company without a team because I worked at a small enough companies that they didn't need multiple HR people. And I think it was a great learning experience to not be afraid to just go out and do anything by myself. Um, but I'm also an independent thinker. That one has a duality in it. And I tend to think outside the box and that like my creativity, right? It all drives home in the same realm of not doing necessarily what the next HR person down the road is going to do. What I like that you said just a little few minutes ago is that your mom had her own business and your dad worked in there with her. And I was going, yeah. no, that's like a power couple kind of a thing because yeah. it was your mom's business, but your dad was like going, 
okay, this is, yeah, I'm in, I'm here to support and be, there was like no egos. It doesn't sound like there was. No, not at all. And actually, if anything, because my mom was the owner and the boss, my dad did more of the stereotypical mom things of taking me to appointments or, you know, taking me places after school with friends because mom had to run the business. And so he ended up with a little more flexibility to be more involved in my day-to-day life. That's nice too. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, that's a, oh, your parents, how awesome. Okay, so the last word we had is passionate. Yes, I couldn't, I could not not be passionate if I tried. (laughs) Um, and I don't, I don't intend, I don't entirely know why, but I tend to throw my everything at what I do. I embrace whatever I I'm doing with, with all the passion I have. And I think it makes for a very joyful life, a joyful career, a joyful experience, because I don't sit back and just do things half-heartedly. I really, I really throw myself into everything. Mm. So how we met was through Amelia, but Mm -hmm. when you and I talked, I, you know, like I was looking you up on LinkedIn and went, oh my God, she's SHRM certified. We're definitely going to talk about that. Yeah. Also we're from California, which has some of the most strictest, I think, HR, you know, guidelines. So I would like you to touch on those when we go, okay, how did you get to where you are now? Sure. You can start anywhere you want, because obviously you shared some really cool things about when you were a kid, yeah. but it can be from high school. It can be from college, wherever. Yeah. So I really started in HR, like on the path after high school. Uh, I mean, after college, I went to school to do public relations and communications, and I ended up doing an, an internship at a film office. And because of that, I, I grew up in New England, was in school in Boston. I left home two months after I graduated college. I drove across country to Los Angeles to work in the movie business. Oh, and and so I did. Great. Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. I did production work. I, I worked behind the scenes for a while, but it was really hard to get into the industry, not being from the area, not having a lot of connections. And so I actually applied for a job as an administrative assistant to a television executive. And this was my entree into HR. I went into the interview. The recruiter told me that I was phenomenal. She thought I would do a great job, but she couldn't send me upstairs because I was not a six foot tall blonde with big boobs. (laughs) Yeah, she said that to my face. And I was like, oh, what? Wow. That kind of broke all of the things that, well, I don't know, maybe in that industry though, it it is a job requirement, right? Because that is the character they wanted to have. For that man, it certainly was. Cause that's what she said. She's like, there's other positions. If they were open, you'd be great for. And she goes, just like we have the same role for him in our HR department, working for our two female executives in that department. I'd really like you to meet them. And I, and admittedly, I was unemployed. I had no money coming in. And I was like, okay, I'll meet them. Like, whatever. I figured I would take the job as a one-off to f- and find something else while I paid my bills. And I met these two women. They were amazing human beings. 
they loved me. They offered me the job on the spot. I started the following Monday. Like it was sort of a dream. And then I found out I was really good at it. I was really good at being in the people department. And I loved being a part of the organization. And so I stuck it out and I didn't look for another job. And I learned from these two women and I had a team around me. And then I moved on to another, a talent agency in the Hollywood world as their HR manager. And I just kind of kept going. And then I had family situation come up back East. And so I moved back home and no one here in New England was hiring HR people at the time. Couldn't get a job. And so I ended up in the world of finance for a handful of years before moving back to Los Angeles, where I took a role that was hybrid finance and HR. And after about two years, I went to the CEO and I was like, I would like to do HR full time because the company is now big enough that it needs it. And he said, okay. And that was like the real launch pad of becoming who I am today. Um, because I took classes at that point. I, I went to seminars. I did day-long events where I learned about things like the ADA and workers' comp and compliance and education and DEI and payroll laws. And I found that it really worked with my detail-oriented finance brain, understanding all of those rules and regulations, but I still got to have the fun friendly communication and employee facing side of things, um, you know, and, and so that's really how I got going. And that man, that CEO is actually the one that helped me launch my business because we had a meeting and he was like, what do you want in your life? And I said, I want to own my own business. I want to be an HR professional on my own. And he's like, okay, I'll help you do it. We can be your first client, but you can go fly free and do your thing. And so that's what he did and I did. And now I have, you know, a small list of clients I work with on the regular and that's how I got where I am today. Mm. That is very, very cool. I love the story that first off, I mean, I'm amazed at your parents and I'm even more amazed yeah. at the fact that you have a boss that says, Okay, how can we help you? All right, you'll be will be your first client. How mm -hmm. often does that happen? I don't know. Maybe it happens more than what I think, but I don't think it happens that often. I don't think it does either. And you know, it's to his testament that that was a program we actually had internally at the company that I led. I met with all employees and we talked about what everybody wanted in their career. And we worked with them as individuals to help them grow. Um, and his philosophy was, even if we help them grow out of the company, if we've done our job right, we have someone ready waiting in the wings to promote into their spot. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that I had to do. And it just so happened that the pandemic, the way the pandemic came around happened at a time when I was ready to leave California and he needed to cut some expenses. And so it was just like this perfect meeting of what I wanted and what he needed. And it's worked out pretty darn well for me so far. So is he still your client? He is. Yep. Over two years and we signed a new three-year contract. Very nice. And you yeah. do a distance because you and I yep. met in Boston. No, we didn't meet in person in Boston, but no. you're in Boston, right? I'm in uh, New Hampshire, just north of Boston. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's actually... 
in, he's in the Southeast. His company's headquartered in Texas and he has people in 14 states. That is awesome. Yeah. He's pretty in cool. Southeast. You mean he's here in Florida, like in Florida? He's in North Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's Southeast still. Yeah. 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 So yeah. distributed, remote, mm -hmm. all of the things that's hitting all of those uh, things. Yeah, it so is. And, and that was just like, it's such a wonderful opportunity to work with a group that that it is that distributed and that and remote and everything. And it works so well for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it apparently does. So how do you, what are some of the tips and suggestions that you would have for people with teams that are distributed like that? And how do you help keep them pulled together? I like the fact that you had said that you're training somebody in the wings to take the place of another person. Um, yeah. Everything must be very transparent in the conversations, right? Yes. Yes. We try for as much transparency as possible. Um, and, and we work around the ideas of trust, of transparency, and of openness, really. And because you can't help somebody move up this, the ladder, what, again, whether it's internally or externally, if you don't know what it is they want and what their ambitions are. Mm -hmm. And we've learned in a couple cases, we actually, I needed an HR assistant at that company when I was still inside. And we had someone at the front desk and I said to her, have you ever thought about doing HR? And she was like, no. And I was like, want to give it a try? And she was like, what if I don't like it? I said, then we find you something else to do. Like you won't lose your job if you don't do well over here. Mm -hmm. um, and she's been promoted three times hmm. and she loves it. Right. And then we hired somebody new to run the front desk. Yeah. Uh, did she not want to stay at the front desk anymore? <laughs> I think she would have been fine staying at the front desk, but because that was actually what she had done previously. But I recognized a very smart woman who cared about what she was doing. And whenever I would ask for her assistance, because I was in California and she was in the Michigan office. And so whenever I would ask for her assistance to do things over there, she would always like ask intelligent questions and really was interested in what I was up to. But she never thought about, well, maybe I could do that. She was just trying to be really helpful. And so when I saw that in her, again, that's what the CEO was training me to look for. I was like, well, maybe I could leverage her responsibility, her professionalism into essentially she became my replacement. When I left, she was elevated into being more day-to-day -day HR specific. And I still work with that company with her doing the HR. And so it, it just worked out so well. And I, I think I would say my, my probably my biggest tip is having being available to your your people, right? Having times when you meet with them like consistently, but doesn't always have to be about well, how's your workload going? Do you need any help? Are you struggling? It can also just be, what do you want in life? What drives you? What sets you on fire? What makes you get up in the morning? So that you really understand the complexity, like you said, of who that human is who works for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people, um, 
Now I do that also with my own people. I go, what is it that you want, whether I'm interviewing an intern for myself or for somebody else? I go, what is it that you want from this experience? Yeah. Even with the, you know, I have some people that are my, they're considered contractors right now because, you know, we don't have full-time paying jobs at sure. point, even though we're all contractors. But anyway, the point is, is that, you know, I say, what is it that you want? Where is it that you see yourself going? Is this really what you want? Do you want to be here? You know, like this is going to be a long haul, you know, yeah. startup. And I'm always surprised at what it is that they will say. And, and I've had five people commit to me and here we are, you know, like they've been throwing in hard with sweat equity and four of the five are at four and a half years. And then the other one is at two. That's amazing. And that right there, that's proof that being invested in your people works, right? Mm -hmm. So that company I was talking about, mm -hmm. their average tenure is closing in on 10 years now. There's a huge chunk of people in that company that have been around over 15 years because they invest in their people. They listen, they take an interest in, and really, truly, they've done so much internal promotion. Like there were people that I started with that we all started as junior level people. And most of them are VPs now. Like, mm -hmm. it's just crazy how, how well it works when you really truly invest in the people in front of you. So this was not on the list of questions, but I have every okay. confidence in your ability to answer <laughs> this because first off you came from California. Uh, yep. Secondly, you're SHRM certified. And you can tell our listeners what SHRM means also, but unlimited vacation, what yes. is that? But let's talk about SHRM too, so that people sure. have an idea of where your expertise is. Sure. So SHRM is the Society for Human Resources Management. And I, I got the senior certification. I, so I never cared about certifications. I'm not educated in human resources. I have a degree in communications. Um, but I took, like I said before, I took a lot of classes. I went to webinars, I went to seminars and I, I did my job every day. And I, I will not, I will not be afraid to admit it. I had a proud moment. I hired a young woman to be my HR assistant in California. And she was studying to get her SHRM certification. And she'd only had a couple years in HR. And she looked at me one time and she was like, you're not certified. Like it was this thing that I should be certified if I was going to be like the head of HR for this company. And I will freely admit that I let her get to me. And so I signed up to take the exam and I, I did some studying. I sat for the exam and I passed the senior level certification. It was kind of on a whim, which I don't always like saying because people are like, it was a whim because it's not an easy test to take but I had had 12 years of experience in the business before that. So I just knew a lot of the stuff from having done it. Um, but I also see the value in certification today as someone who's going out into the world, trying to speak to companies and, and to show people that I know what I'm talking about, that I know what I'm doing because Sherm really, it, they have this thing that they call the Bach, which is their body of, knowledge. And if you know that body of knowledge, 
you can be a successful HR professional. And really what those tests tell people is that you have understood this material and have been able to show that understanding. Um, and so it, I found it really valuable after the fact, but I will say I let someone goad me into taking it because I was like, well, maybe I should. <laughs> you know what though? I think that there's this place where um, we have to have we have to have people that challenge us. Yes. And so challenge accepted. I That's would, right. You know, because for the most part, you know, we're competitive. We want yes. to excel. You as a single, you know, an only child and having that independent nature, I would think that that's how you, you interpreted it. Not yes. as like, oh, why don't you have it? Like negative is, but like, why don't you have it? You know, right? like, why didn't you do that? Yeah. Like you should have that. You already know all this stuff. And that yeah. test is not an easy test. It is, yeah. it is a challenge. Yeah, it, it was a challenge. And, but, you know, again, I put the time in studying and I knew that I'd been doing the work for a long time. And also, I mean, it's not cheap either, but I knew that if I didn't pass, I could spend more time studying and take it again. Right. It wasn't a matter of you only get one shot at it. Um, but in that particular case, I did take it and pass on the first try. But it also That's unusual, too. So you're <laughs> wicked smart. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I Yes, I, I definitely can be very wicked smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's um, I, say that with confidence, too, because like yeah. many times, you know, women is like, well, yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah, well, and then actually getting that certification actually is what encouraged me to get my mini certification in California labor law. You know, once I had done the, the larger certification process, I was like, you know, it probably wouldn't hurt, especially going out on my own in my own business to show people that I am an expert in California labor and that it it gives me that leg up of dealing with companies that have people in California and today only one of the companies I work with doesn't have at least one person in California. Mm -hmm. So I've had this conversation with um, a couple of my HR interns mm -hmm. and they'll, they'll say, Oh, I want to go to school and get a master's. And I said, no, you don't, you don't need to go to school for a master's in HR. What you should do is go take that SHRM, go, go study, take the SHRM test. It's going to be way more valuable. It's going to get you in the door with that because that is bigger and better than a master's. I, yeah. That's my opinion. You tell me what you think though. I agree with you. Um, I think possibly what's driving some of their desire is when you look at a lot of job descriptions now, they say they want HR people with a master's in human resources. Mm -hmm. And what they really want is someone with master's level knowledge, mm -hmm. not necessarily the piece of paper, right? Mm -hmm. And I would challenge that I have a master's level of knowledge based on my experience, my time in the industry, and all the work that I've put in. And I didn't have to go into massive debt to get it, which I think is, you know, critical. I'd say more often people would be better off doing a certificate program to start yeah. with, something that gives them the foundations and doesn't cost them you know, a small fortune to get a piece of paper. Yeah. I've said the same thing too about certificates, because if they want to be a trainer, I'll say, okay, then go pick a, 
an some type of an assessment tool or something yeah. that you want to train in, pick up those certificates and it's just as valuable. And it's, yeah. it doesn't cost as much as going to school. I don't think, I mean, there are some things where you pursue higher, uh, you know, advanced degrees. And it's, if you want to be a teacher, you know, then mm -hmm. you get a master's. If yeah. you want to be teaching, you know, master's level, you get a PhD. So doctors, um, financial analysts or anybody that's in that finance realm, even maybe even accountants definitely have to have a four-year degree, but maybe not a master's, um, HR and, uh, uh mental health. Yeah. I don't know. There's probably yeah. a few other like engineers, honestly. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But for the most part, I don't think you, you can get by with two years of education and supplement with certificates. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. <clears throat> so I think that's the direction that we're going to see in, in education is it continues to morph and people are trying to figure out like, what direction is it going to be in? That's, that's going to be it. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, the woman that I work with at that company, she doesn't have a degree in HR. She does have a bachelor's degree but all of her HR experience has been on the job training and then my encouraging her to go to seminars and take webinars. Um, and she has sat for um, the HRI's associate to, um, certification and she tested and passed on her first try. And again, it just came from being in the business and doing some studying for the test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So unlimited vacation, because you totally have validated, you know, how you have all of this great knowledge. What is unlimited vacation? Because I know what it is, but I yeah. know your listeners will not. And I'd love for you to be able to explain and educate them. Sure. So I don't like the term unlimited vacation because it's a misnomer. You don't get to take unlimited time off. Like you can't start a job and then go on vacation and get paid for the rest of your life. Um, and also you get yourself in a little bit of trouble if you call it that in your policies. So I call it flexible PTO. Mm -hmm. And what it really is, is the trust in your staff to do their jobs and to take time to rest and recover and walk away when they need it. Mm -hmm. But with their work either done or covered by somebody else on the team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I, the, I had rolled that out actually a year before I left that last company. And it was one of the best programs the company ended up doing because people take time when they need it. Something surprise comes up, they take a day off and nobody worries about, oh, I took a vacation two months ago. I can't take another one today or another one this week. Yeah, you can. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what it has turned into as well, which is something that I used to do personally, was I would go on vacation, but like I still had to do payroll, right? Because you can't not do payroll. People want their money. And so I would say to my boss, well, I'm going to take some vacation, but I'm going to check in on Friday, I'm going to answer all my emails, I'm going to run payroll, and then I'll be back out for, you know, Monday, Tuesday of next week. And he was always fine with it, because he knew I was getting my job done. He knew I was handling things that came up. 
but I had the flexibility to take time off if I needed it, you know, and I was telling somebody else about this recently, like I used to take week long trips to Hawaii, where they would be sort of working vacations, mm -hmm. I would log in, when I woke up, do some work, because everybody on the East Coast and the West Coast was like in their day, then pack it in and go enjoy the island. And it was a wonderful way to be able to make sure my job got done, but also get some rest and relaxation. So I think if you can really trust your staff to do their jobs, and also if somebody starts taking three days off or a week off every month, you can deny them time off. Yep. That is part of it. You know, we, the plan is written or can be written, I should say, specifically to say, you know, all time off has to be approved in advance. If it's more than five days, it has to be approved, you know, escalated up or whatever the process is so that there's parameters around it. And if somebody's work suffers, then you can work with them on that side of it to make sure that they understand how their time off has become a detriment to their role. Mm hmm. I agree. What about quiet quitting? Personally, I do not care for this term at all. No, I hate the term. I, I sit here and go, I, I, I think people make these things up just to be able yeah. to be controversial. And I <laughs> sat there and went, no, that's just called I'm done. Right. I'm not working. I'll see you in the morning. Yeah. It's called doing your job. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I do think our culture has gotten into that hustle, you know, mindset. I mean, but I don't know, I guess, I guess if quiet quitting is a thing, I've been quiet quitting my whole life because I have, for most of my life, I have had a pretty strong boundaries around my start time, my end time. And like, I never put my work email on my cell phone until I started my own company. I was very clear about if I'm off the clock, there's nothing that you need from me. Like I can't, there's nothing I can do outside of business hours anyway, right? Health insurance companies are closed. Payroll companies are closed. Government entities are closed. Like yeah. I can't help you outside of business hours, you know, and, and really the only exceptions were the C-level staff. If they needed me, they could call me, but I wasn't answering random emails on nights and weekends and, and people respected that. And, you know, I got my job done, so it wasn't an issue, but it also certainly wasn't quiet quitting. I started as an entry level person and I left as the head of HR. Like you don't get promoted if you are quiet quitting yeah. in your career. Right. So See, that term just sounds so, um, like they're dissatisfied that they yeah. have no joy in the job it that they're always going to be on the fence I'd go no I, I don't even I'm going to research this to find out who coined that phrase <laughs> person because I really would like to ask them why yeah I don't think it represents what people are talking about at all I don't think so either it's I, about boundaries. Exactly. That was the word boundaries. It's just having boundaries because when you work, you know, remotely, um, mm -hmm. typically it's always supposed to have been that, well, yeah, you can work remotely, but your eight hour day now becomes 10 because you're, you're doing stuff yeah. outside. So you might end up working till seven o'clock at night because you spent two hours at the grocery store and yeah. taking your kid to the doctor. Right. So 
Yeah. My favorite part about working remotely was that I could throw a load of laundry in in between meetings or do some dishes to get away from my email for a little while. You know, it helped clear out the cobwebs to not be staring at the computer, uh, you know, for eight hours on end as well. Oh, my goodness. So much. Well, I want to make sure that I'm moving this along because I'm just, okay. oh, goodness. I This was not even on the list, but that's okay. <laughs> it tied into your expertise for sure. So a favorite quote that you live by, what is it? Sure. It's an Eleanor Roosevelt quote. And then I wrote it down so I would get it exactly right. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to see if it's mine because mine is an L. I did not ask you this. Is no. it one can make you feel inferior without your permission? It is not, but that is one of one of my favorites of hers. Yes. Um, this one is is something I live by before I even knew that she had said it. And so when I found it um, a few years ago, I was real excited. It is not fair to ask of others what you are not willing to do yourself. Mm -hmm. And I've always been that way. And and I've said that to the woman that I've I've worked with at that company now for over six years. I will never ask you to do something I'm not willing to do. That's just I that's, how I am. Yeah, that, well, and, and willing to do is different from having the ability to do because like, yes. you know, I, I can do a lot of things. It's just that I may not be able to do it. Like I'm not a programmer. So right. yeah, I, I'm not willing to do it because I didn't, I didn't go to school for it. So I can't. Exactly. And, you know, and like, and like I said to her, when I would give her, tasks to do, I would say, look, I'm not asked, I'm not offloading this onto you because it's a crap piece task. I normally will split the load with her. I would say, okay, we need, here's a pile of whatever. This all needs to be filed. You take this half. I'll take that half. I very much believe in that equity. And when I found the quote by Eleanor Roosevelt, I was like, wow, I had no idea that she'd actually said it, but it is a very much something I believe. I won't ask you to do something I am not willing to get my hands in and do too. Is that going to be like that? That should be your screensaver behind you or something. It should actually. Yeah. I've never seen it on anything anywhere. It was just one of those things I found in a list of quotes one time. Yeah, I do that too. I go through what are good. I looked at all of her quotes. I mean, that's one smart woman over there. Oh, she was such a smart woman. Yeah, so good. Okay, so hardest lesson. There's this place of where, you know, those really rough moments in life and difficult decisions that we have to make or whatever it might have been is like, oh, I, I stole this from the store when I was five. Like, you know, you have to go back and make your kid do it. And that's just so incredibly hard, right? Yeah. Those hardest lessons, but they change your life. And you know that like for that example, I just did, you know, that, that kid should have learned, no, I'm never going to steal again because they had to go take it back. Right. There's right. shame that comes with it and you want shame on some things. Yep. Yeah. So what's your lesson? I think my lesson, and it was a real hard one for me is that it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how hard you work. Life opportunity isn't fair. Sometimes you can work your butt off and, and feel like you have done more than the person next to you. And you're not going to get that raise. You're not going to get that promotion. You're not going to get that recognition for it. And so you need to be able to look at it yourself 
and be proud of what you've done. But also, if you find that that happens time and time again when in your world, whether it's personal or professional, then you need to change your world because you should so what get was it that happened for you that made you have that mindset? Well, so the first example, right, would have been that interview where I was told I couldn't go upstairs because I wasn't a tall blonde with big boobs because yeah. I couldn't change that about myself. <clears throat> but I was smart enough and capable to do the job. And I didn't even get a chance because of my looks in that case. Um, but another one was I I worked a lot alongside a colleague and we very much progressed similarly in our careers in terms of our level, our pay, but he got faster promotions, higher increases, and more recognition out of demonstrably less performance than I did. Mm. And that was frustrating to me. It was very frustrating. And it's part of what led me also to wanting someday to own my own business so that I was the arbiter of what I earned and not someone else looking at me compared to other people around me. Those are good examples too. I'm it sure it's a bitter lesson. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them are so hard to take in life, but that's what builds and uh, makes us more aware of how we need to demonstrate empathy and mm -hmm. for others. Right. Yep. Oh, and it lit a fire inside me. Hmm. Yeah. Pay equity is a huge, 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 like issue for me in human resources that I champion. Do you like transparency and, and pay so people can all see what people are being I paid? Do. I do too. Yep, I do. I I wish every I wish there was a federal law that pay rates had to be advertised on jobs. I wish that there were regulations around knowing like where people fell in the salary bands and just like having that kind of a transparent situation because there's too many people that get cheated out of money because they didn't negotiate harder at their job or because they look at what somebody made at their last job, give them a 10K bump, but it's nowhere near what they should be making based upon the contributions they're making to the organization. Yeah, that is what should drive your pay, not what you made at your last job. Yeah. Your outcomes, the fact that you can contribute. Yeah. I love when companies go in and provide, you know, some type of outcomes based, um, pay scale because yeah. you can do things within yours. Like if you're a programmer, for example, you know, did you make sure that you pushed your code every week? Are you hitting these, these yeah. goals of communicating? Are you now maybe the whole project did not, you know, go to market on time, but mm -hmm. you as an individual could have been meeting all of those goals. So you would be more highly paid than yeah. the rest of your team, because if the whole team made it, everybody wins, but exactly, exactly. I love that. I think that that would be a phenomenal way. And you know what? It would end this idea of quiet quitting. Yeah. People wouldn't just, you know, barely clock in and do their work because 
they would see that their hard work was rewarded mm-hmm. with higher pay. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a moment and acknowledge our sponsor, and then we will be right back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we are back to the second half of our show where we talk about the future of jobs and industries in 2030. And we've touched on some things, but Mm -hmm. what do you think the future of work is going to look like in 2030? Nobody knows. So (laughs) it's an opinion question. (laughs) So I think it's, it's going to be more hybrid than it is today. I don't, I don't foresee, not by 2030, the whole world being on a more remote style workforce. Um, Obviously, there's some jobs that just never can be because they're in-person stores, restaurants, whatever that may be. Hospitals, right? Yeah, (laughs) you don't necessarily want a a lot of remote care that way. But the reality is, is that I think there's going to be a lot more hybrid work space. I think you'll see more people being able to work in ways that work for them, again, around productivity. Um, Outside of that, I find it a little hard even to think about predicting because before COVID, I would never have predicted we'd be having these kind of conversations around remote work. You know, I, I had pushed for it at my old company and had actually just put a program into place to test pilot a flexible work rotation where people could pick two days a week that they worked remotely and we were going to test pilot it and then COVID hit and we sent everybody home. <laughs> so the test- We were testing it big. We were testing it for everybody. Um, and it, so I'm, again, I just, I don't know. I feel like pre-COVID, I would have had all these ideas, but knowing how much has changed in such a short period of time, it's really hard to predict what the future of work is going to look like. Having said that, I think if the newest generation on the job market keeps pushing the way that they're pushing, I think that the future of the job market is going to be exponentially better than it's ever been in our history. I do too. But I also believe that it's going to be better because they are wanting to have human relationships and they're, as more and more technology keeps pushing the boundaries in what type of information they have about us, they're going to want more privacy. They're going to want to be able to have conversations with people and we're made for relationships. So being social creatures, we have to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So yes, it'll go back to the hybrid, I think where, yeah, you can have this, it will still have flexibility in, in the job. But I don't think you're going to be getting away from like a four hour work week. I'm going, no, that's just not going to happen. How are you $60,000 on a four hour work week? (laughs) No, because then, yeah, I don't, I agree. I don't think that that's going to happen. I do see though, if companies really do move towards productivity and outcomes, I do see people being able to work how it works best for them. Like I'm not a morning person. I hate mornings, but I will work late into the night sometimes. And it doesn't feel like work to me because I've had an inspiration 
And I sit down and just do a whole bunch of stuff. And the next thing I know, it's 11 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, as a business owner, it's my business. So I need to do things that I need to do. But my calendar is not open for most people before 11 a.m. every day. Mm -hmm. Because my quiet time in the morning gets me up and going. But then I work late into the evenings on nights that I need to. I could never have done that internally right? I do see that potentially changing companies recognizing that maybe all of their work staff doesn't have the same needs or the same timeline. And maybe somebody could be a second shift, you know, the old idea of second shift type of employee and work 12 to eight, because that's when they do their best work. As long as they're producing and they are available for meetings that they need to be a part of, I kind of feel like it shouldn't matter what, when they're getting the work done. Mm -hmm. I think that there will be, um, it's, I think definitely virtual reality meetings where we're not going to be doing zoom anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know what they're thinking of, but they better get ready because this will go away at some point. It's kind of like having phone calls. You know, I, I prefer the more of my senses that I use the better it is. And many times I like the freedom of a phone call because I don't, I can move around and I'm mm-hmm. not stuck in a chair. Yep. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of technological advancements that will happen. I don't know, even in Star Trek, I feel like there's going to be a place where um, holograms or yeah. beam me up. You're going to be going places. I think they're already got that figured out. It's just a matter of when it rolls out. I agree. I agree. And I actually, it's funny you say that because I read an article a couple weeks back now that was talking about some of the companies out there that are already investing in virtual reality in their companies, in the HR departments, like they're they're and they're massive companies. And, you know, I'm talking 20,000 employees, right? But their HR department is already working um, to incorporate virtual reality in their company, whether it's for training or meetings or one-on-ones. And honestly, I did a virtual reality game one time and it was unbelievable. I actually got sick because it was in space and so zero gravity. I had to take the glasses and the headphones off because I actually got motion sick from it. It was that realistic. I think it'd be pretty phenomenal to be in a virtual reality meeting someday and be able to like sit there with people but actually not leave home. Yeah. Yeah. Have, can't you wait. Had, have you had any robot experiences in the, in the workplace or in restaurants? Because there's now, a, there's more restaurants that are using robots to deliver food. Have you yeah. experienced that yet? I haven't. I've only read about it and seen pictures of it. Um, although one of the things I found when I moved back here to the East Coast. And once some of the restaurants started opening up, one of the things I found here that I hadn't seen in California yet, which I thought was a little ironic, right? Because California is supposed to be like really tech ahead was um, restaurant menus with QR codes, but also restaurant bills with QR codes. I hadn't seen that out in Los Angeles yet. But when I moved back here, I saw so many places with it And I frankly don't think I've paid a waiter or waitress in 
nine months because I just scan the QR code and pay my bill without ever having to hand over my credit card, which not going to lie, I love that capacity so that I can't get my credit card data stolen. Mm. Well, yeah, at least not that way. At least not that way. Yeah. Right. It can be stolen in other ways. You know, it can. Well, and like, I remember, so the first time I ever encountered restaurant technology, it's a little off topic, but I have to t comment about this, but I was in um, college in London for a semester and I went to a restaurant called Wagamama's and it's now a lot more prolific, but at the time it was, it was only in London, I believe. And they came to your table and you ordered and they wrote down your order by number just on your placemat, but then they tapped it into a handheld computer device that transmitted it back to the kitchen and placed the orders. And that was in 1996. And we went from that in 1996 to today using our telephones to pay our credit card bills. Like I love technology. I think it's, it's amazing and I can't wait to see like the next iteration of what technology is going to bring this world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good. All right. Uh, let's see. Best mentoring advice that you would like to pass on to our listeners. As a mentor or a mentee. It can be either. It's usually the mentor because, you know, our people, but you can do both. You can okay. do both. Okay, because I do have both. So as a mentee, one of the things I found the most helpful was, and, and it sometimes makes you feel like a five-year-old, right? But ask the question why all the time, right? If somebody, and, and not in, obviously not in a challenging way, but in a, I want to understand the why of what you're explaining to me or what you're telling me. Because when you understand the why, you have a much better capacity to buy into what you're hearing, right? Obviously, if it violates your beliefs, it actually is a good barometer for you to not take that piece of advice. But if it goes along with your core beliefs, then it's a, it helps you buy into taking action on what you're being told. Mm -hmm. um, as a mentor... One of my favorite pieces of advice is never stop learning mm -hmm. and never stop caring. If you stop caring, get out of human resources, yeah. get out, yeah. get out of my world, please. Because I, one of my biggest frustrations in HR is how many people, when they find out in HR, I'm in HR, say to me, oh, are you one of the mean ones? Oh, no. Because HR has a bad rep. HR has a bad rep. There's a lot of HR people that are just, they're petty and they're mean. And they're like, oh, you were a minute late. We're going to write you up mm -hmm. instead of asking why they were a minute late, you know, because maybe that person got a bad phone call or whatever. Like if you stop caring about the people you're working with, get out of the profession because you're doing us a disservice. Yeah. Anything that is service oriented for sure, yeah. because that's for teachers. That's for yeah. people in the healthcare industry, because the people you're serving, they can tell. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So much. So how can people contact you? What's the best way? 
So I have a website, which is sabrinaluisa.com. And they can send me an email directly at sabrina at sabrinaluisa.com. You're on LinkedIn also, right? I am. Yes. Sorry. Okay. So <laughs> I, we didn't cover this and I told our guests that we would. You know, sure. So why that name? So my middle name is actually Louise. And my great aunt, um, one of my favorite people in the world, always used to call me Sabrina Louisa in an affectionate manner. And when she was dying, I, I asked her why. And she's like, that's your name. And I was like, but it's Sabrina Louise. And her whole life, my whole life, she thought it was Sabrina Louisa. And so I wanted to honor her as a strong woman in my life and as someone I, I looked up to and I was really close to. And so that's why I chose that name for my company. Mm. I thought it had something to do with little women. Well, Louisa May Alcott might've been my favorite author when I was a little girl and I might've gone through several copies of little women. Yeah. Because <laughs> Louise is not one of those names that you commonly hear. It isn't. And I hated Louise for a very long time when I was young. I did not like that middle name. So I kind of latched on to what she called me because I thought it was a much prettier version. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I actually have integrated several of my female family members in my business and my logo. Um, the palm tree and the sunsets actually are for my grandmother because she inspired my love of travel when I was a little girl. And my mom's favorite color is orange and it's my favorite color. And so I included orange in my logo to represent my mom. So there's a lot of my family and my female relatives sort of oriented in and around my business and my logo. Yeah, that's that's always a sweet memory. And yeah. it makes for a nice story. It does. It does. Well, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I have yeah. just really enjoyed this. I got to know you on another level from the first time that we spoke and you're just so knowledgeable. Thank I, you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And thank you for having me. I had a wonderful time chatting with you. Oh, thank you so much. Well, just so um, you know, we're going to be airing this show. You probably saw it on about four weeks out. Yep. So keep you know, be sure to follow us and all of that good stuff. Absolutely. And, um, you'll, I'll be in touch also. Okay. Sounds great. All right. We want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our production team, Ayana Sanders, and our video interns, Jose, Josue Gonzalez, Dina Burks, Lester Eccles, and Gio Vargas. Our music is by Sophie Lloyd, and we would like to have you include your inclusion tip of the week and share it with our show. We're going to announce your name. You're going to be able to be famous, and we'll also be able to do good work with by sharing your, your tip of the week. So you want to email that audio file to info at e4c.tech. Include your name, job role, and where you work. We will email you Intern Pursuit Game green screens for your next video conference call. And be sure to visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusion culture while skilling your people for the future of work. That goes from intern to your senior leaders. We also want to invite you to subscribe to our Podbean, uh, to our podcast on Podbean or your favorite podcast channels. Thank you for listening to our show.